Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to Saturday Night Dhamma. We, um, we don't have any meditators here. So normally I would maybe think not to broadcast. But today is a special day. Yesterday was the full moon, uh, and that marks the anniversary of the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, when the Buddha first taught. Because up until that point, after the Buddha's enlightenment, there was only one person who understood the teaching that was the Buddha understood the truth there was only one enlightened being in the world only one Arahant uh, but with the teaching that we're commemorating yesterday and today Someone else understood the teaching. The teaching, the truth was um, spread to someone else. It's called the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma because it's the first teaching, and it's the it's the change from there being no teaching to being a teaching of the truth. Meaning that from that point on, more people would learn. If the Buddha had never taught anyone. It would have died with him. But as soon as he taught one person, something was set in motion. He would teach many other people, but even the person he taught would also spread the teachings to others. So I'd like to talk a little bit about this and about today as well, which is the first day of the rains, um, which is also another important part of Buddhist culture. So for the next three months, I'm stuck in this one place. Not that I really ever go anywhere anyway, but I'm not um, generally allowed to um, spend a night anywhere else, but there are exceptions. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about that. But first I thought I'd sort of address this question, which I think is an important question. Why celebrate anything at all? It may seem like a, a poor question, but I think it's an important one. I think there are certainly people, probably people who follow me, who um, have no use for Buddhist holidays. Oh, no. The holiday, they don't have any use for Buddhism They have a use for the teachings, the meditation teachings But Buddhism, Buddhist, no They, they just want what's useful And I'm not ridiculing that, I think that's important It's an important um, position 
Only take what's useful. The problem sometimes is, is that we throw the baby out with a bath, bath water. We throw out what's useful. More precisely, we have an overly narrow definition of what's useful. So we'll say, I only want meditation. Is that enough? No, I think it's overly uh, narrow. These sorts of people have, anyone who thinks like that will have difficulty progressing in meditation because they're missing things. Mainly how to live your life. And living your life, that sort of the, the activities that surround the meditation practice that support it, is bound up by things like, well, culture really. I was thinking about this idea of culture. A holiday is, is a Buddhist culture. The rains, this custom of spending three months, it's just a custom. It's not even raining here, not today. And it won't rain very much in the next three months. Not any more than it does the rest of the year. Why bother? Why should we care, right? Why should we adopt customs that are antiquated and regional and often just useless, right? Useless seeming. Could there be some use to them? I think the answer is that there's no reason for us to particularly pick yesterday. There's nothing relating to yesterday. There's nothing relating yesterday to the the day when the Buddha is supposed to have taught his first teaching. We're told that it was on a day when the moon happened to be in a specific alignment with the sun and the earth. But what does that mean? It means nothing really. It's it's totally circumstantial and, and meaningless. You know, theoretically. I suppose you could argue that there's something about the stars and how they affect gravity and how there's some sort of mystical, you know, horoscope and that sort of thing. Something to do with the tides maybe that the moon has an effect on people. Apparently it does. Full moon. But beyond that, very little meaning. So it's down to culture. But I think the point is, um, we could have picked any day. You know, we could pick April 4th, you know. Just pick some date at random. And then say, this is the day when we're going to do this thing. So the question becomes whether the thing that we do on this day is useful. But we have another problem. Because when we, if suppose we have this thing that we do to yesterday, or we do on on the Buddha's, or on a Salaha Puja, on the full moon of a Salaha. Suppose we have this thing we do, um, and and I suppose it is useful. Suppose it is helpful, but instead we do it on a day that has no reference to anything, where we can't claim that this is the same full moon. You know, and we diminish the power of whatever it is we're doing, psychologically. Because that's what we're talking about. It's not We're not doing this because 
Well, there's another reason, I suppose. It may very well be that the angels up in heaven and, and other beings in other realms are also doing this. It certainly is that beings all around the world at this time of year are human beings, are thinking about the Buddha and his first teaching. So there's this camaraderie there, which certainly has a, a psychological impact on all of us. It changes the way we feel about things. It brings to mind things that it should bring to mind. So, I mean, there's really the answer. That psychologically, and, and really that shouldn't be a, a minimalization of this. I mean, it is magic. It's, it's not very different from how we think of this, you know, this holiday as having some special meaning. Well, it does have special meaning. It's just that meaning is, of course, in our minds. And if you want to be poetic, it's in our hearts. But that's really important. I mean, from a Buddhist perspective, that's most important. Calling something psychologically beneficial is not a diminishing of its importance, not in Buddhism. It's amplifying its importance. And that's, that's where benefit and that's where purpose comes from. So we, we choose this date, and the date is important. We do it all together, and we try to find things to do that remind us of the Buddha's teaching and so on. So I thought we'd take a step back and ask ourselves, what is it that we're remembering? What is this, what is this day? turning of the wheel of the Dhamma. Well, I've already said it's the first teaching. What is that first teaching and how did it come to be the first teaching? So to get there, we have to go back in history. and We have to go back in time. I mean, I'm not even sure if you could, at that point, at this point, I'm not even, even sure, I'm not even sure if in this regard you could call it going back in time. Time kind of gets a little bit odd. It definitely is in the past, but the, the it's called four uncountable periods of time in the past. Meaning literally it's not possible to count those time periods. They're, they're, or maybe it's just a figurative figure of speech. But it's definitely the word that's used. A time that is just so vast, it's beyond anything we can comprehend. Or maybe maybe it's just a figurative figure of speech. Just long times. Yeah, well this is a very long time, well four of those. That many that much amount of time ago. And it was the time of the Buddha Dipankara. There have been other Buddhas in the past, and where it's passed down to us that there was a Buddha back then as well. Which isn't surprising. But at the time of this Buddha, there was one man named Sumedha, who was very well developed in meditative practice and attainments. He had all sorts of psychic powers and mental abilities 
and he found out that the Buddha was um, that, the, that the Buddha was born, and he was so excited that he thought, "Wow, I'll, I'll learn from this Buddha and I'll become enlightened." Here is an enlightened being come to the world, and so he thought he would wait for the Buddha to come, and in the meantime, do something. Um, well, he, he got in with the people who were doing something to pay homage to the Buddha. They were clearing the ground, the path for the Buddha. The Buddha was on his way, and they were making a path for him to come to where he would teach the Dhamma. And the roads, I guess, were not so good, so they were repairing the roads. Something like that. Paving the way, maybe. Maybe there were a lot of Buddhists around, and they were devoted to the Buddha, so they were spreading flowers or whatever. The Buddha was on his way. So the Sumedha said to them, can, can I help? Can I take part in this and pay homage to this being of beings, the special of all beings, the most highest of all beings? And they looked at him and they, they said, wow, this is Sumedha, and he was, I guess, famous, well known for his psychic abilities. And they thought, well, he must have great, or he has great psychic powers. We'll give him the hardest stretch of of road to clear, because he'll surely use his psychic powers to do it. So they gave him a swamp, basically. But Sumedha thought to himself, well, I could use my psychic powers to clear this area. He looked at this big swamp and this is what the Buddha was supposed to be passing through. And he said, well, I could use my psychic powers, but that wouldn't be impressive at all. That would be a trifle. And so he didn't use his psychic powers and he used just his own uh, hands and tools, uh, manual uh, sort of primitive tools or whatever he had and got busy clearing the the path by hand. He wasn't able to finish. It was a, a real mud spot, and so he wasn't able to finish by the time the Buddha was had arrived. And so he turned and he looked and he saw the Buddha coming. And here was this muddy patch. But he looked at the Buddha and he realized something. He realized, wow, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so ready to hear the Buddha's teaching. Just one word from him, one verse, and I'll understand and I'll become enlightened. That's all it would take. He knew he was ready. He saw something. I mean, his mind was so refined. He said, wouldn't that, something like, wouldn't that be a waste? Or maybe perhaps not, wouldn't that be a waste, but what if? And he, decided, he, he looked at it a different way. He said, what if I were like this, this being? What if I were to do what he has done? And he changed his mind. He opened up his mind to a different path. And he made a decision and he said, I'm not going to go and hear the Buddha speak. I'm going to 
make a vow myself to become just like him. To give up, to put aside my own happiness, my own peace, to liberate, help other beings become liberated, just as he has done. I mean, someone's got to do it. If he hadn't done it, there would be no Buddhism. I will do this too. And so rather than trying to clear the, the path for the Buddha, he threw himself in the mud, lay down in the path, sacrificed his body, knowing full well the Buddha was being followed by like 500 monks. And they were all going to trample over him. He knew that, he, he expected that his body would be crushed. He threw himself down, literally being put, making himself a, a pathway, using his body as a pathway. Not just a symbol, but actually giving up his life. Making a determination that with his this great gift, this great sacrifice, this symbolic sacrifice, actually, it actually looking at it, it isn't that big of a deal because um, you know, the Buddha, worst case, he gets his feet a little muddy, but the symbolism of it is quite, I think, quite poetic. With the, with the power of this gesture, may I become a Buddha, just as he has done. And the Buddha approached, saw this Sumedha, this ascetic, squelching in the mud, looked down at him and turned to his his monks and said, Do you see this ascetic lying here face down in the mud? In four uncountable eon, four uncountable periods of time and a hundred thousand great eons. Now hundred the great eons are huge amounts of time that are much, much smaller than the uncountable period. So a lot of time. This ascetic will become the Buddha Gotama. He'll become a Buddha. And then, did he walk over him and crush him and all the monks walk over him? No. Buddhas don't do such things. He walked around him, squelched through the mud or so on, I don't know. And went on his way. And Sumedha just lay there and he thought, did he just say what I think he said? And he was, his body was suffused with rapture and uh, he got up from the mud and left. Went in the opposite direction, didn't follow after the Buddha, had made up his mind. Here was the opportunity to become enlightened and he turned it down. Went on his way to become a Buddha. It's a noble thing, it's a wonderful thing. It may sound like I'm praising this, trying to imply that this is what all of we all we should be we all should be doing. And probably some people who are listening to me right now are thinking, wow, that yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just not what I'm doing, trying to do. So my caveat is that according to the commentaries, the question is posed, wait a minute. Was Sumedha the only one who, in the crowd, who thought, "Boy, I'd like to be a, I, I'm going to become a Buddha as well." The commentary answers, "No, no. In fact, many people 
many people that day were of that opinion thinking I will become a Buddha as well but none of them none of them got the rea the reassurance from the Buddha none of them were like Sumedha not a single one of them was anywhere near his position such that the Buddha could say with reassurance this guy is going to become a Buddha his mind was so developed already so you think, well, I could develop my mind But that's not the point His mind was so developed before He started the longest journey in the universe You know, the, the if you talk about goals I mean, goals like going to college or getting a job It's impossible to compare that to the slightest fraction Of a fraction of a fraction of what the Bodhisattva did to become a Buddha after he had already developed himself so powerfully that he was able to be um, affirmed by another Buddha. It's a very special thing, not something that should be thrown around or taken lightly or sort of... Um, should be recommended to the average person and most of us are are pathetically average you find a lot of Buddhists who think they're special or think they could be special and try to be very humble about it but it's kind of what you're saying you know if you say I'm gonna become a Buddha you're kind of saying you're more special than everybody else from I mean, from from a Theravada point of view anyway I think there are other traditions that say well no everyone will become Buddha eventually and so on that's another can of worms. I don't want to go there. That was just a short note. Let's stop there with that. He went off in Sumedha went off into the woods, our hero, and he contemplated what are the things that require need to do to become a Buddha. And he realized there were ten things. How he came to ten, don't really know. He was as we said, a very special person. Ten things, the ten perfections I've talked about them recently We have a video on them recently I'm not going to go into that But he um, He realized that he'd have to Cultivate certain qualities To their perfection Perfection, again, I've talked about this Isn't probably the best translation Parami or paramita means highest thing which is at its highest degree. So not not just giving, but giving to the highest degree. Being totally perfected in giving. Can't possibly be a more committed giver. Perfect in uh, in morality, ethics. Perfect in um, renunciation. Perfect in effort. Perfect in ten different things. And so he decide. He realized this is what I have to do. I have to develop these. And he spent the rest of his life cultivating them and and working on them. 
and proceeded to do the same thing in various ways and in various lives for the next four uncountable eons. That's the story. Is it actually true? Is the time scale, time scale actually valid? I'm not in a position to say. Long time, anyway. The point, really, of that story is to, ta to remind us of the big deal. That this isn't just some guy who decided, hey, I'll go off in the woods and six years later, oh, I became enlightened. That's not how Buddhists look at this, and that's not how we should look at it. I know a lot of people are not comfortable with reincarnation or you know, rebirth, this idea, but it's undeniable. I mean, that's really the worldview in Buddhism, that our paths are a lot longer than this very short and pathetic existence as human beings. Our life of 70, 80, 90 years, if we're lucky, is nothing. It's just a, um, a, a shot, a, a frame in the video, a frame in the film of our journey in samsara. A very small part. So, but fast forward to the present. We have the Bodhisattva being born in Lumbini and spending uh, 29 years as a prince and then realizing that he was going to get old, sick and die and that there must be a better way, finding that way, uh, preliminary anyway, of leaving home and becoming an ascetic. And then spending the six years, spending the next six years on the wrong path, apparently because he had, um, in a past existence, ridiculed a, a Buddha, a Pacheka Buddha, actually. Apparently, I think, yes. Um, ridiculed some enlightened being, saying, oh, you're torturing yourself. What use is that asceticism of yours, torturing yourself? He was very nasty to this this enlightened being. As a result of that karma, scary, you know, he spent six years when many Buddhas, most Buddhas, after one night, they leave home, next morning they're enlightened. True story. I mean, that's the, the story, that's the, that's what the commentaries say anyway. But the Bodhisattva, our Bodhisattva, had to spend six years. After six years, he had expiated the karma. The karma had run its course. And he realized, this is useless. What am I doing? So that's kind of an understanding of how karma works. It's not some magical thing. It's that you're messed up in the head. And that messed up in the head stopped. And believe it or not, this is all subject to questioning. It's the thing about historical facts. You don't have to believe any of this to be a practicing Buddhism, it's just past. But again, culture, there's a lot in here, in this story and in this memory that reminds us of good things, that is psychologically beneficial, it helps us focus, it gives us something to focus on, rather than, hey, look at that statue, it's, hey, that's the Buddha, and I know who he is because I've heard the story. After those six years, the Buddha found the way became enlightened under the 
Bodhi tree in in Gaya. So it's called Buddha Gaya. He spent 49 days in and around or under and around the area of the Bodhi tree. And then just tried and then was invited to teach. And tried to figure out who would be the best person to hear his teachings first and decided that with some thought that the five ascetic these five ascetics who he had spent time with in the past six years they were actually f four of them were uh, four of them were old court astrologers who had predicted that um that he would become, that the Bodhisattva would become either a Buddha or a emperor of the world. And Kodanya uh, predicted that he would become only a Buddha. Or else it was Kodanya's father, and Kodanya's father. No, that's not right. It was Kodanya, wasn't it? I don't remember. The stories are quite involved. At any rate. These five were there in. They left the Buddha because the Buddha had stopped his asceticism. They thought he was on the wrong path. They left him. And the Buddha went to find them, found them, and taught the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta. And that was last night. So I definitely recommend that you read the Sutta. In brief, it's the first teaching of the Four Noble Truths. What that means is that what we're celebrating yesterday And today if you want Because today is the first day Today is the first day That we A, a, record, a commemoration of the first day Or the anniversary of the first day When the world had The teaching of the Four Noble Truths it means before that day Only the Buddha Knew what the truth of suffering was And important there is the five aggregates You know, an understanding of what was real in the world Because when we talk about suffering, we're talking about what is real We're not actually talking about suffering in the English sense We're talking about the reality of things that um, We cling to And which are to be let go of which are not capable of satisfying us I mean the reality of things Dukkha is just the Buddha's way of saying Hey look, this is The problem isn't any one thing The problem is things It's the nature of things That they're not capable Of giving us satisfaction Reality is of, of a nature Unable to provide us with happiness You can't cling to anything Clinging is the cause of stress and suffering The things that we cling to are not capable uh, do, uh, do not have the ability to satisfy us So the cause of suffering is craving Cessation of suffering is letting go of craving And the path First day today Today is the first day we have the Eightfold Noble Path It's the anniversary of that So what do we do today? 
what do we do to commemorate this? Well, it's the beginning of the rains, and the most important thing is to remember and try and emulate the Eightfold Noble Path. The Eightfold Noble Path is the path by which one comes to realize the Four Noble Truths. Realize in the sense of become aware of the nature of reality. See things so clearly that you stop clinging to them. That you stop being partial, that you stop wanting, that you stop, that you stop suffering. So the general thing that we would do during the next three months, you know, we would take the next three months as being a special opportunity, not that we don't do it the rest of the year, but a special opportunity to cultivate the Eightfold Noble Path. In brief, three things, the three trainings. So we, we begin today. I've already made my determination. I'll be spending the three. I spoke in front of the Buddha, the, the ritual words, that determine my to give, give my determination that for the next three months I will be residing here. But that's not so meaningful. I mean, it's just a tradition, right? The point is, this three months, I mean, for all of us, should be an opportunity to uh, to in increase our commitment. To the three trainings, which is morality, so we be more committed to keeping ethical precepts, not to lie or to cheat or to steal or to kill, take drugs and alcohol. Many people will give up alcohol just for these three months. Yes, you should be giving up alcohol entirely, of course, but for some people in some cultures that's difficult. Uh, concentration, the second one, so meditation. People will take up stronger, more intensive meditation practice during this time. Thinking, wow, the Buddha, you know, he put so much work into, can't I at least put in enough work to follow in his footsteps, to learn from his teachings? I don't have to put all the work in to learn them on my own. But I can listen to the Buddha's teaching, and I have listened to the Buddha's teaching, and I can certainly put that into practice. And wisdom through the practice, gaining wisdom, learning the truth, coming to understand reality, giving up our wrong views and wrong opinions, letting go of beliefs, letting go of culture, letting go of our adherence to stubborn views and, and doubts and, and habits and so on and so on, you know, learning the truth of reality. Gaining a, a perspective that is in line not with any, not even in line with science, you know. Because science may be very good at observations. But by very nature, it, 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 there's so much about it that is um, reproachable. The, the, you know, the, the slant of science is so biased relating to money and so on. Prestige, ego... And just ignorance and 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 indoctrination. That you know, not to say that it's actually among the most beautiful things because it does purport to um, relate to knowledge. I'm not saying it's wrong; it's just corrupt. So, as with everything else, let go of it and try to see for yourself what is real. 
not what someone else says, not even within the framework of what they say, but within the framework of reality. Wisdom. That's what the holiday really means. That's what this time, this period means. So, not a very intricate or complicated teaching, but you got a story and a reminder, I think. A little bit of perspective on this day. So thank you all for tuning in. Wish you all a happy, a happy uh, wasa rains. Productive. Today is day one of the rains. Have a good night.